Welcome to the Strange Catholics Podcast. I'm your host, Phil, joined as always by Terry in Minnesota with me and Bob in Virginia. We are three distinct voices bringing varied perspectives on the church and the world into the conversation. We want you to join in the conversation. You can do so by going to anchor.fm forward slash strange Catholics and leaving a message there. You may also email us at strangecatholicspod at gmail.com. Please remember to rate this podcast on iTunes or wherever you're listening and share with one person. We used to gather around a table at Caribou Coffee. It's a coffee house in Minnesota in the Midwest. But now we gather virtually in hopes that these conversations will be a light for you as they are for us. Now, let us begin this week's conversation. Welcome to episode 22 of the Strange Catholics podcast. This week we'll cover some Catholic news, as we always do. For our main topic of the week, we're going to talk about both why Catholics pray to Mary, as it says in the Catechism, what that means, and we'll touch on the Immaculate Conception, the feast of which is coming up on December 8th. For our Saint of the Week, St. Francis Xavier, hailed as the next greatest evangelist to St. Paul. Take it away with opening prayer. We'll turn it over to Bob. Thanks, Phil. Uh, good evening. It's nighttime that we're taping this. Good evening, brothers. Uh, good thanks for that. Yeah, yeah recording, not saying? taping. There's no tape. There's no There's tape, no tape involved. involved. <laughs> okay. you're, showing, you're showing your shows age. How, shows how old I am, podcast fans. Uh, thank, welcome to everyone across the world. Uh, thanks, Phil, for that riveting opening. And uh, we're ready to go. So let's start with prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Gracious and loving and forgiving God. Thank you once again for this opportunity to come together with my two brothers in Christ to just discuss the issues of today, to just be open to you being with us and to uh, not tape, but uh, whatever we do to to record this broadcast and, and send it out to the people. So as we so as we go forward. Just make sure that, you know, that you watch over us and, and all our listeners and everyone of the world as we do this uh, podcast. We ask this through uh, your son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. And amen. once again, I said that incorrectly because I am still doing the old right. But it's all good. You know, I can get I can get away with that. Yes, you can. So, Okay, and you can't. Okay, at least I have that on you. All right, so let's just talk about Catholic news real quick. The first one is about vaccines, right? So you would think that there would be no question about taking the COVID-19 vaccine, and I'm sure everybody's seen in the media, especially the Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna vaccine. But there was an article in the... Uh, for your folks locally there in the St. Cloud Diocese, it was republished in the Central Minnesota Catholic. But it was also, I think, let me bring it up here. I just had it. And it was in the, uh, I think it was out of the National Catholic News uh, Service, the CNS. And basically talking about folks or, or the question of having an issue with how these vaccines are created 
and the testing that goes into that, whether it, whether there's um, fetal tissue, fetal stem cell lines, you know, from aborted fetuses from, from previous years, uh, maybe embryos that were created just for this types of testing and stuff like that. There's just a good article to go out there and read and Phil will make sure it's linked in the show notes, but uh, talks about whether or not it's okay for Catholics to take that vaccine and and what the what the Vatican has said is, yeah, it's okay. It's okay to take that vaccine. Um, you know, when it's a risk to health and so on, it's okay. Um, there is some link trying to find this and Phil can help me fill in or Perry, but there was a, it was a distant link or remote link, um, from the testing that using, uh, aborted fetuses and so on for, for the Pfizer vaccine, I believe it was, um, but the, the Pfizer biotech, right? Cause those two are the ones yeah. that worked on the uh, Pfizer vaccine. And, uh, Moderna. Uh, they didn't say they didn't say anything about the Moderna one, but but they did say uh, about the Pfizer there was a a remote link. Uh, mm-hmm. They're not Relat- so. Go ahead. Relatively remote, and the actual vaccine yeah. is not derived from any aborted fetus. Right. Cells, as I said to you guys before, right. Yep. And and then the fetal cell lines were not directly used in the Moderna vaccine. So right. Um, but the bottom line here is that Catholics need to know in a 2005 study, the Pontifical Academy for Life said that Catholics have a responsibility to push for the creation of, of morally just just in alternative vaccines. But it also, also said that they should not sacrifice the common good of public health because there is no substitute. And I think that's the bottom line here, right? So everybody should take the COVID-19 vaccine, okay? And they shouldn't worry that they're doing something morally wrong against God or against the church. Any comments on that? No, there's been a lot of discussion on this on the vaccines because there was some information that came out that seemed conflicting. And I think it's all captured in this. If it's not captured in this article specifically, I'll make sure. No, it is. Uh, uh, Bishop Strickland. Uh, from Tyler, Texas, uh, you know, he tweeted out pretty early after the first announcement was put out there that it's not morally produced. And so that kind of sent a lot of people into kind of, well, is it or isn't it? What, what do we know? And this article from the Central Minnesota, Central Minnesota Catholic that we're linking to, which is copied over from Catholic News Service, helps to break out and highlight, um, you know, what is, what wasn't whose vaccine was tested this way, whose wasn't. So there's some really good information here. I can link to uh, another article I saw kind of helping to expand on this as well. I believe that it was from CNA, but I could be mistaken. But either way, I'll include both links. But all this to say, you know, these neither one of these vaccines specifically were used in a aborted fetal cell line to make the vaccine, which is the key point. And that's why they say it is remote, uh, relatively remote. And so our own culpability, we're not taking it because of this, but if some of the testing was done or, 
something else way down the line uh, many decades ago. That's where some of this is coming from, some of the objection to it that initially came up. So, you know, there's a, I'll also link to a beautiful description that Patrick Madrid did on Relevant Radio helping to describe this. Um, I firmly intend personally to be able to take the vaccine should one come out um, because I'm in a couple of the danger categories. Um, there's other questions about the vaccine card and other stuff like that, but just actually taking the vaccine, uh, there's nothing that seems morally ob objectionable because this is in that relatively remote category. We're not participating in the evil that was done you know, a few decades ago. Our, our good is to seek the health and well-being of ourselves and our families and help protect other people, not just ourselves, but others as well. And so that's why the the bishops have come out and said that this is a, you know, a morally good to do because we're not participating in the evil that was done decades ago. Well, first of all, I think that Catholics, most Catholics, don't even put two and two together with vaccine production or testing, and whether it's moral or not moral in regards to religious faith. So this is something at least bringing it to their attention where they can do more research on it. In regards to the card, I still think it's a little fuzzy about what's going to happen there, but that is not a, and to me, that's not a religious issue at all. That may be a United States individual liberty, so to speak, state versus your individual freedom issue which really has nothing to do with a church position, probably. Um, and I don't think the church will take a position on that. I don't you? think we'll have to see more on that. But I, I've just heard a lot of things from Catholic radio and podcasts on that specifically. So we'll just have to see what actually comes out, because we don't, actually, we don't have details on what that is, what it means, how, that, you know, how that's going to impact us, what it's going to allow us or not allow us to do, and all that kind of stuff. So as we learn more about that, we will, of course, bring it to you, wonderful podcast listeners. Terry? Right. I mean, yeah, go ahead, Terry. He cut no, <laughs> Go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah. I'll get you back. Go ahead, Terry. No, I, I, I agree. I mean, I think the, uh, uh, the card is more of a, um, individual liberties than it is a, uh, Catholic, uh, faith-based, uh, dichotomy or dilemma maybe would be the more appropriate term to use. Um, so I guess at this point, you know, we'll just have to kind of wait and see what comes out down the road. But um, I know that uh, my physician and I had uh, a discussion uh, similar to this uh, just a couple of weeks back uh, about uh, vaccines and the, uh, the moral culpability of a Catholic uh, who would uh, take a vaccine that maybe was derived illicitly. Well, and the tough thing is defining illicitly. So, I mean, this is what it makes it hard for the church, right? There are some hard and fast things, but, it, but there's also some gray areas. So, I mean, as we discussed on the, the pre-podcast feed, it was, uh, um, it's a, these are complicated issues. It's not that cut and dry. It's sort of like with the card, too. 
how do we how do we say that we know Terry took it? We don't know. Do we need to know? Does Terry need to show his card somewhere? I, I mean, I'm not. Listen, I don't. I'm not in favor of that. I mean, why would he have to show his card to get in someplace? We should just say until everybody's vaccinated, you got to continue to wear your mask. But there's going to be plenty of yahoos out there who are going to get vaccinated and go, I, I'm okay and I'm not going to do that. I mean, just continue to wear your mask until we can get to like an 80% or whatever that number is of people that are vaccinated, you know, that type of thing. So, um, you know, this is a unique situation for Agreed. our generation, not not as much for our country, but more for our generation. I mean, these things have happened before. And unfortunately, what has happened is it's killed a heck of a lot of people. And we just had to deal with it. And we never usually got to a vaccine. At least this time we were able to get a vaccine in a short term and then to turn around and say, well, this was done illicitly. I mean, it just just, you know, this makes is a complicated issue. So so. The next article uh, I want to talk about real quick uh, was from the Catholic News Agency, and this came out by Archbishop Charles. Okay, so this retired uh, uh, Archbishop said, hey, he's Catholic, he's pro, pro-abortion, pro so, and he's a Democrat, right? That's a party platform, blah, 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 and that, uh, that he shouldn't receive uh, communion. I will just say he's Archbishop Emeritus, but he is retired. Um, and or doing or giving communion risk doing a serious disservice to 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 Biden and the rest of American bishops if they do that. Um, I think he also goes on to talk about, uh, you know, he also has done some wonderful things in his public life in in other areas, right? So he did give him credit for some of that. Um, and then he also goes on to talk about um, publicly denying communion to public officials is not always wise or the best pastoral course. So so this is a part of what leads into what Phil's gonna talk about here just a little bit about um, that commission that was set up or that working group that was set up um, to, to deal with uh, President-elect Biden as a Catholic, as a confirmed Catholic president and, and how we deal with him, right? Absolutely, yep. So. When the USCCB met a couple weeks ago, I'm pretty sure on that. But when they met, they formed together a commission to help address because Biden is out there saying, I'm a devout Catholic, I'm a faithful Catholic, you know, all these things. But he also then is supporting things that are against the Catholic Church. So the USCCB came together, put together this commission. Uh, head up, headed up by Archbishop Vigoron, who's the Archbishop of the Detroit Diocese, to look at how the USCCB and bishops at large in the United States can respond to and work to try and discuss and work with uh, President-elect Biden in his, with his administration to help him see the errors in the directions that he's taken. They of course, are applauding him and the ways that he is upholding um, the Catholic Church's teachings. But then they're, you know, on these, some of these things that he said, you know, not only do I support, but then I'm going to, you know, uh, so their quote is against fundamental values we hold dear as Catholics in regards in regards to Roe versus Wade. Um, so that, amongst other things. Uh, so 
this commission is put together. This is not unique. This commission, they've put other commissions in place again. Uh, they formed a working group similarly um, uh, for immigration after the election of uh, President Donald Trump. So this isn't a new thing. But again, this is a commission that's going to work together to try to see how they can speak directly to the president or as close to the president as possible to help him see that when he says, I am this, but then holds this position or supports this position or publicly says this thing that is against that, that how that's contradictory. Uh, so I think it ties in with the article we were talking about, Bob, with um, from uh, Archbishop Emeritus Chaput. Um, but all that to say, you know, this this is a group to address some of the things that Biden has publicly said and or has supported um, in his uh, many decades of career, you know, that are against what the church teaches. So I think there's a couple of concerns that I have. Um, I, I think it's fine, the working group and I, I the, what they're going to do. And there's nothing wrong with that. And he should be his feet should be held to the fi- to the fire, so to speak, on his Catholic views and, and how he lives his life and so on and, and what Catholic doctrine is. I, I'm fine with that. But the two issues are one talking about denying communion i got that okay but um we're taking him as a public figure and we're putting him in a different position i understand that he says it publicly but typically we don't really do that and it is a slippery slope so i'm a little concerned about that um even though i understand what doctrine says that's one and two agree that with uh, President Trump, there have been uh, numerous um, dioceses, and, and I assume the uh, Council of Catholic Bishops have also spoken about immigration and the problems with immigration policy in the Trump administration. However, I do think at times we do, as I've said before, we do rank some of these things, and, and it looks like we rank them in order, and I know that's not the intention. But it does look that way. And there has been a lot of discussion from the Christian community and the Catholic community about how pro, pro-Catholic pro President Trump was because of his, you know, stated pro-life stance. No legislation to back that, but but his pro-life stance and his pro-life judges, that, and, and that was one part that he did fulfill. Um, so I, I just I'm looking to see if we're going to treat uh, this president the same way. I'm sure we won't because this president is Catholic and President Trump wasn't. But in a Christian kind of context, we should be treating them both the same. You know, whether they're pro-life or pro-choice, whether they're Catholic or not, I mean, our 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 stance politically should be the same. Politically, but within the church we should look to Catholics as holding to the church's teachings where we wouldn't hold right. a Christian to the church's teachings um, because they're not, you know, a fully confirmed uh, member of the church, but those that are Catholic that say they're Catholic publicly and then um, hold to a view that is against what the church teaches. That, that's why the bishops have come together and say, we're going to form this commission. Uh, my personal opinion is why didn't they do this, you know, 12 years ago, not, you know, 11 years ago, whatever, because these aren't new, right. brand new views by right. but now a president-elect Biden. 
right now right, just because he's president-elect. President, right. Yeah, the, right. Vice well, president, they, we didn't care. We right. Didn't care, or it didn't seem like we cared as much. And and I, I agree with you because he's Catholic. It's much more of an issue for us. Absolutely. And I think that maybe we hold him to a higher standard, right? Because he's within our within our faith. But yes. as I've told you before, there were plenty of Catholics on podcasts that talk about how President Trump was the more pro-Catholic or and and or pro-life president we've seen in our lifetime, which is just totally false. Ronald Reagan is. So, um, but uh, I, I, you know, it's just, I think we, we say it's a, it's a, it's a house of cards that we're, we're creating and that sometimes can kind of collapse on us the way we treat, you know, you know, how we get into these, situations. So it's very delicate. That's, I guess, what I'm getting at. I just want us to be consistent in some of our messaging. And, and, now, and, I, th- and I think because President-elect Biden it has said, I'm a Catholic, he has commercials with the Pope and with nuns, that the the uh, USCCB said, okay, well, we need to respond to these things. Sure. We'll support and uphold the things that we agree with, but the things that are against the church teaching, we need to make sure we're really clear on that because a lot of people then think it becomes more gray and they really, I think they wanted to come out, um, you know, with this, uh, commission that they put together, they wanted to come out and say, these are the things that we support, but these are the things that the church does not support. Well, I'm totally, I'm totally in favor of, of that stance, especially when a candidate opens himself up by by clothing themselves in using the using their Catholic faith to help them get elected, I'm fine with that. I just wanted it to be somewhat somewhat consistent. It's not exactly the same, but somewhat consistent when President Trump holds up this Bible and talks about how how great of a Christian supporter he is and you know where where are we on a pretty major level to say we're not so sure you're doing those Christian things. You know, he just wasn't part of our immediate family, but he's still the president of the United States. So um, are we going to, are we going to take more wax at this guy because he's part of our immediate family and he's the president and the last president we let skate because he wasn't part of our immediate family. That, that, that's, I guess what, and it's a delicate balance. I got it. It's delicate. Okay. Cause, cause it where is. do you cross, where do you cross the line? And and maybe we'll have more license to do it now because he's Catholic. So we'll see. But and there there were a lot of liberties that John F. Kennedy was no, the USCCB did not speak out against. Right. That John F. Kennedy. Were, you know what I mean? Right. So and there was a lot I, I think it's at least good. Yeah, I think it's good that we at least have this commission um, and, and they're at least having this discussion or they're making it public. Um, they may have had this behind closed doors before when John F. Kennedy was president, but, you know, to speak about some of those things. So I'm just happy that there is a commission and, you know, my hope is that it will not just be an empty, but it will actually have meaningful discussions and they're not just kind of a shell of a thing, but instead they're going to hopefully actually speak about the things that the church upholds. Right. So I think at the end of the day, if there's a, if there is a, um, a consistent message of, hey, you need to change your stance on abortion for all these reasons, 
However, we're supporting you, let's say, on your immigration policy or on your social policies, because the church can tend to be more supportive of more social safety net policies that take care of the less fortunate and that type of thing. Yep. If, if they do it that way, then I'm fine. I, I just I think what I heard in the Trump administration and maybe just because all the noise around it was, hey, we like the guy because he's given us uh judges that are going to overturn Roe versus Wade at some point, and we're good with that. And then behind the scenes, we're going, well, how about the death penalty and and all these immigrants and all that? But that was so low down the radar that nobody heard that. And that's what I'm trying to get at. So, but we'll see what happens. Okay, but what I would encourage people to do, we'll put it in the show notes, and it's a similar type of thing. It's about Poland being, having and they're a fairly conservative administration in Poland right now saying um, that they are, uh, they have anti-abortion policies in place. The EU, which they're part of is not in favor of that and has spoken out against that. And it's a nice article where uh, a, some uh, Catholic religious leaders, um, I believe it was a Bishop in. uh, um, So if it was a Cardinal, I'm sorry, but I think it was a Bishop in, uh, Poland that spoke out against uh, spoke out against the EU stance, um, which I'm totally in agreement with. I'm totally in agreement with. I mean, where's the EU coming off saying that they're not in favor of that? I mean, Poland can make those decisions for themselves. The yeah, Polish folks is an archbishop. An archbishop. Well, if I said you're a bishop, then I'm fine because they're bishops anyway. No offense to the archbishop, and no True. calls from him, please. Let's transition to our main topic, main topic, and that'll be discussed and presented by the ever capable Phil Henneman. Yeah, we'll we'll see if it's ever capable. This topic was brought to me by uh, Mr. Terry. Oh, sorry, Reverend Mr. Terry. <laughs> I do apologize for the inappropriate title. Um, so Reverend Mr. Terry brought this topic that, you know, why do Catholics pray to Mary, right? I think is how you framed it. Okay. So I wanted to provide this distinction because I think even when I came into the church, this was something that I still kind of upheld this kind of balance. And I'm going to also link to a beautiful snippet from Patrick Madrid, where he really helped to, I think, at least solidify with some callers questions on, do we pray to Mary? Do we pray to the saints? What is the distinction there? And I think, I mean, all of this is coming from the catechism. Same with what Patrick Madrid said. He says it a lot more eloquently than I can. But to summarize it, yes, Mary, we, and we've talked about Mary and honor that we give Mary, um, right? We give her the highest honor, but to God alone is our worship. So a distinction there, yes. But okay, so to summarize it, because we've already gone a little long in our news segment. (laughs) Paragraph 2679 from the Catechism of the Catholic Church says, Mary is the perfect orance, or prayer, a figure of the Church. When we pray to her, we are adhering with her to the plan of the Father, who sends his Son to save all men. Like the beloved disciple, we welcome Jesus' mother into our homes. For she has become the mother of all the living. We can pray with and to her. 
The prayer of the church is sustained by the prayer of Mary and united with it in hope. I have many other paragraphs we could cite, but just giving a distinction here, because there's a uniqueness to Mary because of not getting yet into the Immaculate Conception, but because she was already preserved from that stain of original sin at her conception, which we celebrate on December 8th. We may or may not get into it in this podcast. And because of that already, that saving grace that was already given to her, the greeting that the angel Gabriel gives her, which is really God himself, who's saying, Hail Mary, you know, rejoice Mary, um, that you can already see God showing um, that, that beautiful grace that lived already in Mary, and he's really drawing that out. Um, all of that to say, when we ask for Saint whoever, Saint Francis Xavier, we're asking for their intercession to basically take our prayers, like we read in the book of Revelation, as incense before the throne of the Lamb, right? That's what we read in the book of Revelation. Here, we're actually asking for Mary to hear our prayers, not just uh, take them and bring them, but then also hear them, because she has a unique role as as one that can hear and bring our prayers to her son, who loves his mother more than we ever can. And he's hearing these prayers of as queen mother, so as in what we would have seen in the time of Davidic times, I'm sure Bob would love to speak on this from the prophetic books, but from the Davidic times, we have the mother as the queen, not the spouse as the queen. So we look at Mary as our queen, and we're asking her as queen mother to help take our prayers, hear our plights. And we see so many times throughout, you know, millennia, how she has appeared brought mess, prophetic messages to us as Catholics and as all Christians to really adhere to that great message that she brings of hope, of peace, of love, but always of seeking God's mercy. What else do you want me to say, Reverend Mr. Jansik? Mr. <laughs> Reverend, whatever I just said. Reverend Mr. Henneman. Uh, no, that's absolutely perfect. And that's one of the questions that I frequently get. That's why I thought it was a valuable topic to, especially as we are approaching the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. Um, I do get a lot of people asking, well, as Catholics, you know, what is it, you know, you're, it's almost like you look at Mary as a God. Well, no, we don't. You know, she is the mother of our savior. And that creates a very unique role for us as Catholics, but she does not replace God. And that's a distinction that I think that needs to be said time and time again. Yeah. We only have three people in the, uh, the Trinity, God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy spirit. Yep. Nope. There's just three, Bob. I don't know what all those fingers meant. Uh, <laughs> It's only three, only three people in the Trinity. That's it. But we do rely on uh, Mary, our mother, uh, to really hear our plight 
as she was one that suffered uh, in many ways, especially at the foot of the cross, and can take our prayers as a mother and really, um, you know, bless those prayers and hear our cries. And it, it's a beautiful thing. So that that's the distinction I wanted to call out from the question that Reverend Mr. Terry brought. Uh, uh, I'd like to move on to the Immaculate Conception because this is probably one of the biggest misconceptions I hear all the time, unless Bob has anything he wants to inter, uh, bring to the conversation quickly. Okay, so now we're going to jump into the Immaculate Conception. So we celebrate this on December 8th. This is a holy day of obligation, so I hope and pray this will be out before the 8th, and I hope and pray that everyone gets to Mass on the 8th as best you can. Um, obviously there's going to be dispensations for many people and many dioceses throughout our country and the world, knowing that we are listened to internationally. Thank you, everyone. Uh, but wanted to provide a distinction because I heard this argument and I felt this argument even before I came into the church, the Immaculate Conception I always assumed was for Jesus Christ. But as we talked about in our first part of this segment, the Immaculate Conception is for Mary. She was saved from that sin so that she could be that perfect Ark of the Covenant, right? So then she could be that beautiful reservoir to accept the Holy Spirit. So Mary is acclaimed by Elizabeth at the prompting of the Spirit and even before the birth of her son as Mother of my Lord. So St. Elizabeth already recognized it. We know that St. John the Baptist recognized it because he actually sprung, you know, you know, made some kind of a, an unusual leap, something that was distinct, so much so that St. John the Baptist's leap helped, fl helped flood St. Elizabeth with the Holy Spirit. So it's often held in small-t tradition that it was St. John the Baptist that helped bring the Holy Spirit to Elizabeth. So beautiful symbol there. Uh, anyways, okay. So the one whom she conceived as man by the Holy Spirit, who truly became her son according to the flesh, was none other than the Father's eternal son, the second person of the Holy Trinity. Hence, the church confesses that Mary is truly the mother of God. So I want to start there before we went into the Immaculate Conception, because oftentimes people will say, well, why? Why? Well, that's because Mary becomes the mother of God, and that's why she was saved this sin. So uh, from St. Ignatius of Antioch, you are firmly convinced about our Lord, who is truly of the race of David according to the flesh, son of God according to the will and power of God, truly born of a virgin. He was truly nailed to a tree for us in his flesh under Pontius Pilate. He truly suffered as he is also truly risen. So talking about this immaculate conception, we look at the announcement that she would give birth to the Son of the Most High without knowing man. By the power of the Holy Spirit, Mary responded with the obedience of faith, certain that with God nothing was impossible. So there's a unique holiness that's out there for Mary. So this all, so I should mention, this all starts at paragraph 492 and, and onward in the Catechism. She is redeemed in a more exalted fashion by reason of the merits of her son. So it's not on her own merits, but it's rather uh, for greater glorification of God. 
the Father blessed Mary more than any other created person in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places and chose her in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. To look, to hear how Ignatius of Antioch looks at the Blessed Mother is, um, for me, it's it's just a testament to how every Catholic should look at her. Yeah, and this was a dogma I should have mentioned that was first declared in 1854. Again, the church declares a dogma, dogma not because they just all of a sudden realized it, but because there was some kind of contention. The church only has declared dogmas when there is some kind of general consensus of, hey, wait, what about this? Oh, we've got these people that are saying this or this heresy or that heresy. So the church only declares a dogma um, when there is some kind of a problem, something that's speaking against that. Sure. Bob? So if the listeners are having trouble understanding the complexity of this concept, that's okay because nobody understands it, okay? Because it doesn't make a lot of sense, right? How does this child just show up in this virgin and so on, okay? That's above your pay grade to understand. It's above our all of our humans' pay grade to understand. I get that, and, and we're all in the same boat on that. So what we try to do is try to put a little bit of understanding to that the best that we can from a human perspective, right? Um, But if you think about it, it makes sense because when God says, hey, I'm I'm going to come back in this human, I'm going to be in this human form, right? Jesus, my only son, is going to be here. When we select the person that's going to be the one that's going to, you know, have the child, I mean, it's it's the somebody who's pure it's somebody who's a virgin all that it just makes complete sense that this person would be selected right and that mary would be held in that kind of high esteem because she is the mother of jesus christ so you know it, it does make sense the way the church um teaches it but but to try to understand the entirety of how that would happen that's just way out of out of bounds. I, you know, there's some other things we could bring into this, but I, I don't think I'm going to bring it into the conversation now. Go go ahead, Phil. Thank you, Bob. Just providing clarity before we close out this section. Again, the Immaculate Conception is for our Blessed Mother. It is not directly related to Jesus Christ. He is the one that saves her from that original sin, but it's it's the celebration of Mary's Immaculate Conception on December 8th, which again is a holy day of obligation. But so please get to church. Yeah, I confuse that by talking about that. At the, at the, I just, I I just wanted to provide first. clarity to make right. sure because okay. I have had so many questions and people brought things up to me, RCA, whatever it might be. We're hopefully providing some clarity <sighs> and the links that we provide will help you dive more deeply into the online version of the catechism where you can read, pray over that and just dive into a greater love of our blessed mother, our Lord and his church. And who could love Mary more than our blessed Lord? Right. Right. Because it's his mother. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they had that relationship besides the being God and 
that God and human relationship. They had the mother and son relationship. Mm-hmm. We don't have that. So that's something that you can talk to your uh, evangelical friends about who are confused. And they're great people, great Christian folks, but they're just confused about what we believe. We'll be back right after this. And we're back. Thanks for staying with us. Most of you have been shutting us off before this time. So if you're here, thank you. And this is when you're going to get the real bonus. It's time for the Saint Spotlight with Reverend Jance. Is a re- did we say Reverend? Reverend Mister is the Reverend appro- Mister is the appropriate term for a deacon. All right. Well, and now for the <laughs> ego inflated. <laughs> yeah, bring me back down to earth, Bob. Thanks. That's what I love about you, brother. <laughs> And uh, our Saint Spotlight of the Week, of course, uh, as Phil has said, is St. Francis Xavier. Uh, Feast day is December the 3rd. Uh, He is the patron saint of Catholic missions, African missions, jewelers, sailors, missionaries, the town of Gua in India and China. St. Francis Xavier was born in the Kingdom of Navarre on April 7, 1506. He was the third son of the President of the Council of King John III of Navarre, most of whose kingdom was soon to fall to the crown of Castile in 1512. Francis grew up at Xavier and resided in a castle, which is still partially stands today and is in possession of the Jesuit order. He received his early education there, as often was the case with younger sons of nobility. He was destined for an ecclesiastical career, and in 1525, he journeyed to the University of Paris, the theological center of Europe, to begin his studies and spent 11 years of his life there. He studied philosophy and then later taught it after earning his master's degree in 1530. Now, in 1529, Francis shared lodgings with his friend Pierre Favre, a new student and also a new student. Ignatius of Loyola, we've talked about him before on the podcast, came to room with them as well. At 38, Ignatius was a much older person than Pierre and Francis, who were both 23 at the time. Ignatius convinced Pierre to become a priest, but was unable to convince Francis, who had aspirations of worldly advancement. At first, Francis regarded the new lodger as a joke and was sarcastic about his efforts to convert students. When Pierre left their lodgings to visit his family and Ignatius was alone with Francis, he was able to slowly break down Francis's resistance. According to most biographies, Ignatius is said to have posed the question, what will it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Gradually, Ignatius convinced the young man to give up his own plans and open his mind to God's will. In 1534, Francis Xavier, Pierre Favre, and four other men joined Ignatius in making a vow of poverty, chastity, and dedication to spread the gospel through personal obedience to the Pope. Francis became a priest in 1537. Three years later, 
Pope Paul III confirmed Ignatius and his companions as a religious order, the Jesuits. During that year, the King of Portugal asked the Pope to send missionaries to his newly acquired territories in India. While Francis Xavier was becoming a priest, Portugal was colonizing in India. Uh, the Portuguese settlers in India and elsewhere were losing their faith in Christian values. To restore these values, uh, they sent our good friend, St. Francis Xavier. Pope Paul had asked the new order to take on the mission, particularly since they could not undertake their preferred mission in the Holy Land due to warfare there. Ignatius ultimately decided to send Francis. He left for India in 1541 on his 35th birthday, and as he departed, he was informed that the Pope had also appointed him to be Papal Nuncio to the East. Now, for those of you that don't know, a papal nuncio is a diplomat who takes up permanent residence in another country to formally represent the church there. Francis Xavier arrived in the region and colony of Goa, India, on May 6, 1542. Although Goa had churches and even a bishop in the Portuguese colony, there were few people to preach and minister to them especially outside the walls of the city. This situation spurred the Jesuit Francis Xavier into action. He spent days visiting with prisoners and the sick, gathering groups of children together to teach them about God and preaching to both Portuguese and to the Indians. He would walk through the streets, ringing a bell to call the children to their studies. It was also said that he was to have converted the entire city single-handedly. Adopting the lifestyle of common people, he lived on rice and water in a hut with a dirt floor. Francis Xavier eventually decided to travel to Malacca and Malacu Islands to evangelize to people there. He spent about two years in the region, and while in Malacca, a Japanese man named Anjiro caught up with him. He was accused of murder in Japan, but had managed to flee. Learning about Xavier, he decided to find St. Francis and tell him about Japan, which he did. Xavier converted this man to Christianity, making him the first Japanese convert to Christianity. Francis Xavier returned to Goa for about a year to attend to his official responsibilities but he was very interested in visiting Japan. In 1549, he finally departed for the country, arriving in July of that year. Francis Xavier was surprised to find that his poverty was a barrier to his communication. Poverty was not respected in Japan as it was in Europe, and so he was compelled to change his strategy. On one occasion, when meeting with a local prince, Francis Xavier arranged to be finely dressed and for his fellow missionaries to wait on him. He had gifts from India that were delivered to him. The charade had the desired effect and improved his reputation in Japan. Now, he finished his, Francis Xavier did finish his work in Japan for the time and decided to return to India with a stop in Goa. 
During his voyage, he was petitioned to meet with the Chinese emperor and argue for the release of several Portuguese prisoners as a representative of their government. Francis Xavier tried, decided to make the trip to China, but first felt the need to return to his headquarters in Goa. He departed India for the last time in April of 1552. He stopped at Malacca to obtain official documents attesting to his status as a representative of the Portuguese king. Xavier's ship reached China in August, stopping off at an island off the Chinese coast. From there, he was on his own and managed to find a man to take him to China for a large fee. But while he was waiting for his boat to arrive, Francis Xavier became ill with fever, and he later died, December 3rd, 1552. He was buried on the island until February of 1553, when his body was removed and taken to Molaka, where it was buried at a church for a month. Then one of Xavier's companions moved his body to his own residence for the rest of the year. In December, his body was moved to Gua, where it remains buried in a silver casket enclosed in a glass case. Francis Xavier was beatified by Pope Paul V on October 5th, 1619, and canonized by Gregory XV on March 12th, 1622, at the same ceremony along with Ignatius of Loyola. And lastly, he and St. Therese of Lisieux were declared co-patrons of the missionaries in 1925. And gentlemen, that is St. Francis Xavier. Just a high-level view. I invite all of our listeners to uh, use the resources that uh, Phil is going to post that I sent to him and do a deeper dive. St. Francis Xavier, pray for us. Pray for, pray us. for us. So the other thing is, I mean, when you read about this back in this time uh, and all these saints like this is you get to see the the really the uh, complexity of where the church fits in into the state and the lack of a separation of church and state and colonization, right? We talked about Portuguese colonization and all of that type of stuff and how important the church was as a, you know, a political organization as well as a religious one. Hey, thanks everyone for listening to us this week. Um, Please encourage other people to listen to our podcast. Please go on uh, your podcast platform and give us a five-star rating because that is the minimum that I require. Thank you. And um, if you want to find us, you can find us on all podcast platforms. Most people find us on Apple Podcasts. You can also go to uh, anchor.com and then Phil's going to give you the email address if you want to give us comment. Anchor.fm forward slash strange Catholics, or you can email us. I didn't, we didn't get any emails about Bob's amazing performance from our last <laughs> podcast, episode 21, so we'd love to hear yeah. from Strange Catholics P-O-D, that's Papa Oscar Delta at gmail.com. A link is in the description. We'd love to hear from you. Let us begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we bring before you all the petitions that we have in our heart, those things spoken and those things unspoken. Lord, we ask you to please wrap us up in your loving embrace.
Help us to see and discern your will more clearly so we may follow it. And we bring before you these petitions. For Vani, for the repose of her soul, for healing and comfort for her family and all families of those that have died, that they may be wrapped in the loving embrace of our Father. For Aaron and all of those that suffer from ailments to the heart and circulatory systems, that the medical doctors and specialists may be guided by the divine physician to help to heal all those in accordance with your will. Grant peace and healing for all those suffering from all ailments of the body, but especially for Aaron and any of those suffering from circulatory ailments. We pray for Diane, for her father, who is approaching his last days on earth, that he may be guided and comforted on these last days, as well as the family, that they may feel your warm, gentle embrace and know and experience your peace. For the protection of life from conception until natural death, for all those that are pregnant, trying to become pregnant, struggling with infertility, all those that have suffered the loss of a child. Lord, we just ask that your love would please be filled up in each and every one of these people, that each and every person would recognize the sacredness of each and every life. Help us all to grow closer to the beauty of your miraculous creation. For all those that are suffering from COVID, physically, financially, emotionally, and spiritually, guide them, heal them, comfort them, all of these things in accordance with your will. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks a lot for listening this week. We'll be back hopefully next week with another podcast that's much shorter. Until then, <laughs> love you, brothers. Love you, brothers. Love you, brothers. Thank you for listening to this episode of Strange Catholics. We hope that you enjoyed the conversation and it helps you dive into a deeper reflection and union with our Lord Jesus Christ. If you'd like to leave some feedback, please go to anchor.fm forward slash strange Catholics to leave a voice message, or you may also send us an email at strangecatholicspod at gmail.com. Links will be in the description. Please share this podcast and this episode with at least one person. This will help get the word out and get more people to join into the conversation. Please subscribe to this podcast and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you are listening to us. This really helps the podcast get traction and help even more people discover the peace, love, and mercy that our Lord offers and is longing to offer each and every one of us. Thank you again for listening. Have a glorious day. And may God bless you.